Hello and welcome to a Not The Top 20 podcast dripping with anticipation. It's sponsored by Betfair. It's myself, Ali Maxwell, and him, George Ellick, with an EFL playoff finals preview. We will begin with Saturday's game between Luton and Coventry. We will then skip to Monday for the South Yorkshire derby between Sheffield Wednesday and Barnsley in League One. And of course, uh, splitting the two will be uh, Stockport and Carlisle on Sunday. Three games to go. One long weekend of frayed nerves, of nibbled fingernails, of squeaky bums, of three incredible days out and three heartbreaking ones. Hello, George. Hello, mate. How are you? Excited. You? I can tell. I am also really, really excited. Kind of crazy how so many games, thousands and plus games, boils down to these last few Wembley. But I can't wait to see them. And I think we've got three incredibly strong renewals in terms of the playoff finals and I'm excited to see how they get on. It's funny that you mentioned thousands of matches. That was also part of my intro. 1,578 are how many we have had this season so far across the three leagues, regular season plus playoff semi-finals. 91 pods. This is number 91. So the, the recap on Tuesday will be our 92nd podcast of the 22-23 season. Three more games to discuss. The previews coming up uh, just to let you know what to expect. This will, like our playoff preview, be another hybrid of our two shows, the Monday pod and the betting show, uh, bringing them together for, well, it's not a one-off, is it? A two-off uh, with analysis of the games and then uh, a betting angle as well for those of you who listen to the betting show and would like some interest on that front uh, heading into this weekend. Luton v Coventry, George, Saturday, 4.45 at Wembley Stadium for a spot in the Premier League. As clubs over the last seven years are doing the pod and as teams just for this season alone amazing stories incredible narratives great obstacles hurdles surpassed and and just incredible achievements to get here definitely and I think you know whether you start the achievements over the last couple of years or you look back to kind of seven or eight years um, this is unquestionably you know the the kind of the romantics final where it's two um, fallen giants who uh, well fallen giants might be the wrong word but two clubs who had fallen on harder times basically who managed to rise back up to this precipice of, of, you know, in Coventry's case, returning to the Premier League and for Luton's going to getting to the Premier League for the first time, if not the top flight, of course. Um, it is incredible. And, and I do, you know, I, I think given what's happened in the past and given the great stories surrounding their ascents, um, you're completely right where it's hard to know who to root for here. I, I do think that we can get a little bit lost in the narrative here and, and rightly so because I, I'm definitely not arguing that it, this shouldn't be a big part of it. You know, we've we've, we've all seen social media posts, some of which by our, our very own Matt on the not, not the top twenty account, but elsewhere talking about you know where these clubs have been and, and where they are now and the rest of things. But I think that that maybe does a disservice to what they both are right now, which is two incredibly strong good championship sides to the extent that in my mind if this was I don't know Middlesbrough against West Brom instead you'd be arguing this is an incredibly strong playoff final whereas I've already heard people saying you know this is a playoff final where the loser will finish bottom next season you know I I do a a podcast with Steve Freeth for The Athletic and he mentioned on the show last week that 
basically whoever wins this game will automatically be one to four favourites for the drop next season from the Premier League, which is obviously incredibly short. Now, I think maybe we aren't giving them enough credit and enough. Um, there isn't enough talk about just how good these two sides are. Luton finished third by merit in not the strongest renewal by any stretch of the championship, but they still finished above a side like Borough, for example. They still have lost one game of their last 15, which was a playoff semi-final first leg away from home, which, you know, therefore isn't necessarily like a, a normal game. Coventry, on the other hand, have only lost one game since being beaten 1-0 away from home against West Brom back on the 3rd of February. Now, these are two sides who, by any championship measure, have been incredibly strong over the last few weeks, or if not the season, have players who are fully deserving of their opportunity to play in the top flight. And we've seen playoff finals in the past, Reading-Huddersfield certainly being one of them, where you had a Huddersfield side with a negative goal difference and a Reading side whose XG numbers were atrocious for a playoff team. And at that stage, you're thinking like, yeah, it does kind of feel like both of these teams have, have stumbled into the playoff final. Not a second. I'm not having that at all between these two. These are two teams who are absolutely there on merit, who've been two of the best teams in the championship this season. And all being well, if they manage to retain key personnel having having been promoted next season, I see absolutely no reason why off the back of a season where none of the three promoted teams in the championship last season have been relegated back the season after I don't see any reason why whoever goes up from these two sides would be um, would be outclassed or would be you know akin to a competition winner if they get there Um, two quality sides and I am really excited to see what should be not necessarily the best in terms of a pure footballing spectacle but certainly in terms of what is at stake it should be a really interesting tactical battle between two sides who deserve to be there. Yeah, so much focus will be on the jobs of the two managers. One of them over a long period of time, Mark Robbins, who was with Coventry in League Two and now has them one game away from the Premier League. Uh, Rob Edwards, who started the season as manager of Watford, Luton Town's biggest rivals, became only the second man ever to manage both clubs, having been sacked after just 10 league games by Watford, a Watford team that finished in mid-table. And as I mentioned earlier, he took over from Nathan Jones and made Luton a little bit better to take them into third spot and cement them there and get them to Wembley. But on the pitch as well, there's loads of nice player narratives as well. And even by running through a few of these, I'm worried that I'll miss out something good. But, you know, just for for those of you who aren't as au fait with the careers of certain players and why them playing in the game uh, that that could take them to to the Premier League is is amazing. You probably have to start with Peli Ruddock and Panzu. Now, he is one that, that, like Luton's away end, gets a lot of social media love and rightly so. If Luton win, <clears throat> Rudder Campanzu, uh, if he plays a minute in the Premier League, will have played uh, all the way from what was then the Skrill Conference, what we now know as the Vanarama <laughs> National League. Was it called the Skrill Conference? I believe it was. I believe I it that was. at all. Or maybe the Skrill Premiership? I don't know. You can Google while mm, I'm talking. That would be really weird. He'll have played uh, all the way from from then to the Premier League with one club, which is unbelievably rare, obviously. Even players like Jordan Clark, it's a story that I love, signed from Accrington to Luton on a free, having been a good League One winger 
for Accrington, League One, League Two winger, now a crack number eight, box-to-box midfielder who presses, who can create, who can unlock defences and is a bit of a goal threat as well. Uh, Alfie Doughty was on loan at Kingstonian a few years ago, had a move to Stoke that didn't work out at all, uh, but is now a key player for, for this Luton side. Even the front two, you know, Adebayo signed from League Two, Walsall, not loads of players jump from League Two to the Championship and take to it quite as well as Adebayo uh, did and has. Carlton Morris uh, was signed from relegated Barnsley where he and Barnsley had a very tough time uh, last season but 20 goals uh, this season for him and as for Kov uh, I mean there's a few as well Liam Kelly uh, a leader for them has been there since League Two and how many times over the last few years has Liam Kelly lost his spot in the team or has he been questioned as maybe not being the type of player that Coventry would want uh, if they are to be challenging uh, for promotion in the Championship and how many times has he somehow avoided footballing death and found his way back into the team just like he has this season uh, to, to be a starter in the playoffs and likely starting in the playoff final. Uh, ben Wilson in goal, scorer of a Championship League goal this season. He's 30 years old, Ben Wilson, and this is the first time he's ever played more than 30 league games in a season. If you think that might be a proxy of being a first-choice goalkeeper, well, there you are. There was one season where he played 27 for Kov a couple of years ago, but otherwise, the first time he's been definitively first-choice as a goalkeeper, and he's 30, and, he, and he's been one of the best goalkeepers in the Championship this season. Make that make sense. Uh, and then, of course, Jokeres and Harmer two of the best championship signings of the last three years, two of the players currently playing in the championship that we, I'm sure, would say are the most uh, Premier League ready. Uh, They probably signed for something like £2 million combined and they are certainly worth, what do you reckon, 15 times that, 20 times that now. Um, Absolutely uh, brilliant. Uh, In terms of previous meetings in the league this season, there's not a huge amount to go off. A one-all draw on the 11th of February um, saw an early set-piece goal from Lockyer, one of very few conceded by Coventry. They actually conceded the fewest set-piece goals in the Championship this season. Uh, Then they equalised through a Godden penalty. A foul on Jokeres by Gab Osho, which I guess is probably my main takeaway from this game. Jokeres will drift out to the left, as he likes to do. He will target Osho, who plays right centre-back for Luton because of a defensive lapse like the one that happened in that league game where he got in front of him, the ball came in from the right side, on the blind side, Jokeres got in front of Osho, got a shove in the back, won a penalty that was scored uh, by Godden. So that'll be quite a key matchup and a big test for, for Osho, who's who stepped up for the most part this season. Um, there wasn't a huge amount else in that game, no clear-cut chances, uh, and I'm going to ignore the two-all draw in the first half of the season because Nathan Jones was Luton manager and their starting eleven included Potts, and Bradley, Bree, Campbell... Onya Dinma, Freeman and Cornick, none of whom I think are likely to start here. Uh, so one all draw in February, George. And as I said, not a huge amount clear cut. Is that more or less how you're expecting this game to go at Wembley? Yeah, I think so. You, you kind of touched on two. Um, well, one thing that I think is, is really crucial here. We saw that Luton, despite being the better team against Sunderland in the second leg and getting the win that they needed to get them through, um, it was two set piece goals that the, that... that that kind of yielded their um, the two goals that they needed, and they come up against a commentary side who are incredibly adept at, at defending from those situations. So they, you know, one of their key attacking outlets may not be quite as effective as as we're used to. Similarly, Coventry, you know, we've spoken a lot in recent weeks about how how good an attack uh, counter attacking side they are, but they're playing against a Luton team who, you know, they're not a team who are necessarily. Um, they don't drop in particularly deep. They don't play a low block. They they engage, but they they kind of engage from from like a, a low to mid block, and they 
aren't necessarily a side you expect to be uh, playing a high line and, and be done by the pace of Jokeres or, or, or you know the other counter-attacking threats that the Coventry have. So by that measure, I kind of expect both teams to be able to suffocate the other in terms of, of, of their, their key attacking threats. We know that both teams are incredibly solid defensively and can rely on their good defensive record in, in most games. And I think that's going to be fairly interesting. Um, also, when you look, you know, I kind of... I was joking earlier when I said that I pulled out loads of historical data, but I have had a look back through, um, you know, Wembley finals and, you know, the, this championship playoff final moved to Wembley, moved back to Wembley in 2007. And since then, only two games have actually gone four goals or more in them. And we haven't had one dating back to 2011 between Swansea and Reading. So since 2012, every game has had three goals or less. We've had loads of, of one nils. Um, last year, of course, Forest Huddersfield was one nil, but also Fulham, Villa, Hull, Sheffield Wednesday, QPR, Derby, Crystal Palace, Watford. These these are generally very, very cagey games. And when you've got two sides with fairly specific um, attacking outlets, that we've already said the opposition should be quite adept at, at, at snuffing out with good defences. I think everything here points to it being a fairly low-scoring affair. And it's not a surprise when you think of what's at stake here. You know, with playoff finals, there's always a lot of, a lot at stake, but especially with this one, with the riches that can come to um, to a, a team. And I think when you've got Luton and Coventry here, this isn't a Middlesbrough or a Sunderland or a team that have, you know, have, have, have been in the Premier League fairly, fairly recently. For both of these sides this promotion would be totally transformative for them as a football team, whether that is Luton with their, um, you know, the, the new stadium on the horizon or a Coventry side who've, you know, had some massive off-field issues until Doug King bought the club back in January. It would be a watershed moment for both clubs. And I think for that reason as well, it's even more likely this is going to be very, very cagey. Uh, looking at the two managers is interesting, where in, well, I mean, Firstly, these are two teams with identities of, of being pretty clutch in the last few few years. Not only do we see you know Nathan Jones leave Luton in January, which didn't even derail their, their League One title bids um, all those years ago, we also saw them come back and survive relegation in incredible circumstances uh, after the COVID break. Um, they have had promotion after promotion. These, this is the side, you know, if you take out the, the playoff semi-final defeat against Huddersfield last year, which isn't necessarily a negative because we often see teams who struggle in playoffs come back and do pretty well. This is a pretty clutch side. And you can say the same about Mark Robbins and Coventry. They've won playoffs, they've won leagues. You know, you're not necessarily seeing two sides here who who are, have an aversion to winning. Both have been pretty good at doing so. If, if you do look into kind of club identity, with Rob Edwards, you know he's had one full season as manager in the EFL. He won League Two. This is Mark Robbins bidding for a third a third promotion in in six seasons. This is so hard to call. It's so tight. Um, as I say, I don't think there's going to be many goals in it. But I can't really pick many faults in either side either. Can't disagree too much. I'm not going to sit here and think it's going to be high octane, high scoring, tons of goal mouth action. Uh, we know that Coventry mostly invite pressure onto themselves, partly because they are more than comfortable in their shape. They had the uh, second most clean sheets in the regular season and then held Borough twice in the playoff semi-finals, but also, also partly as a, a, an attacking tactic because it helps create opportunities for them to counter-attack, space in behind for Jokeres or just a little bit more space for him to drift and receive the ball to, to, to feet out on the left side as well. But unlike Middlesbrough, 
I think in terms of trying to handle Coventry's threats, Luton will be pretty pragmatic. I don't think, or rather, I think they'll make sure that even when attacking, they've got a solid base. So I doubt Dramef, for example, will commit himself too high on the right side uh, as the right wing back, because, of course, that's where Gjok mostly operates down that side. Um, the back three, I'm sure, will be careful. Bell and Osho are pretty good at, at stepping into the final third. Bell, in particular, I'd say, on the left side. But I think... Certainly to start with, they will be cautious on that front. And Nakamba, the defensive midfielder, will likely stay pretty fixed uh, in position in front of that back three. So, uh, again, I don't see, unlike Borough, this playing into Coventry's hands that much. Uh, as for, for Luton, are they proven incredible at breaking down low blocks and set defences? No, most championship teams aren't, to be honest. Um, I think both of these teams are decent in terms of building up with more settled possession you know in terms of creating chances if if necessary when the transition isn't available but I don't think either are excellent but I do think they're both excellent defensively and out of possession so all of that makes me think that that style wise as you say it's more likely to be low scoring I think in terms of starting 11s and who, who we can expect to play here uh, for, for Luton, surely the same as both semi-finals. That's Horvath in goal, um, who played in the playoff final for uh, Nottingham Forest last season, of course. Uh, Osho, Lockyer and Bell, the back three. Uh, Drame and Doughty, the wing-backs. Nakamba, the defensive midfielder, with Rudder Kampanzu and, and Clark outside him. Uh, probably there are a few other options there with Campbell and, and Berry in particular, but most likely it'll be those three. And then, of course, Adebayo and Ma Morris up top. Uh, as for Coventry, I think the big tactical decision on the day will be whether Robbins uh, sticks with what worked in the second leg against Borough uh, or decides that this is a completely different fixture with a di different setup uh, necessary for it and goes back to the, the two up top. So at the back, it'll be Ben Wilson in goal, Luke McNally, uh, Carl McFadgen and Callum Doyle in the back three, Brooke Norton Cuffey uh, and Jake Bidwell, the wingbacks, uh, Ben Sheaf will almost certainly keep his place. Liam Kelly should keep his place as well. Uh, and then Harmer, definitely. Jurkares, definitely up top. The big question is whether it'll be Jamie Allen, really, playing in a, a sort of attacking number eight role at the top of the box midfield, or whether uh, Godden is more of a fixed striker. That will be a big decision for Robbins to make, and he got it right in the semi-finals. I'm sure whichever he chooses will probably be the right shout. Uh, I think Norton Cuffey, is one to, to highlight here. I think he's got a very important role and quite a lot of pressure on him, really. Um, he's been uh, reviewed by fans of the clubs where he's played on loan as someone who's pretty good at, at carrying the ball up the pitch. Um, a bit of an attacking threat, although not the, the greatest like crossing technique and delivery. But there have been questions about his defensive appetite and his concentration on that end. And with Alfie Doughty, a huge, huge part of Luton's attack Um it's going to be a big, big game for Norton Cuffey just to make sure that Doughty's not able to deliver quality to Adebayo at the back post or Morris at the back post. Um, I, I imagine they will try and pin Callum Doyle as the probably the weakest aerially of the three Coventry centre-backs. Um, but of course, with that midfield, if it is the box, Kelly, Sheev, Harmer and Allen, they will be working hard to make sure that Luton are not able to create easy overloads down that left side. So uh, there's a big preview of it, um, George. I'll be interested to know and we'll switch over to making some betting picks here if we can come up with a, a bit of value yeah unsurprisingly from what i said a second ago um i am going against goals here and <clears throat> it's interesting to note that despite there being um loads of low scoring games and loads of one nil games there's only been one nil nil since 2007 and that came in that game i mentioned earlier between huddersfield and reading i think it's about time mate i think i think <laughs> this is a game where um Chances are going to be few and far between. 
I think both teams, if they go ahead, will look to sit on their lead. Um, well, I mean, to an extent, we did obviously see Mark Robbins play two up top when they went ahead against Borough. But yeah, I think 13 to 2 about the 0 0 definitely interests me and looks like a, a bit of value from, from where I'm sitting. I think the under 1.5 at 15 to 8 would be my second selection. So <laughs> opposing goals, I, I, I don't think there's much between the two. Obviously, I've backed Luton. Um, in before the, the semi-finals at five to two to win the playoffs, I'm pretty happy sitting on that. I wouldn't be backing them um, now. I, I think this feels to me like a, a pretty tight game, and with Luton kind of significant favourites with the Betfair Sportsbook. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. You know, if, if I was to have a bet on that market now, I'd probably be tempted to back um, Coventry just because they are, you know, the outsiders in a game that I think is incredibly close. Coventry get eleven to ten, Luton four to six. I think that four to six is a bit short. Mm. Um, but yeah, opposing goals is the way that I'm going. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. Uh, I had so many written down on the shortlist. Nil uh, nil, half time, six to four. I was surprised to to go back through. The last five years in the championship playoff final, there actually four games have seen a goal being scored in the first half. I thought there'd be more nil-nil at half-time scorelines, but it's only one of the last five. Uh, if you go back ten years, it's actually five, a split of five and five. Um, so that kind of freaked me out a little bit. Under one point five goals, you mentioned fifteen to eight, uh, definitely on the radar. Even the draw at two to one after ninety minutes, but. After weighing all of them up, I'm going to go with you. Take the nil all draw at 13-2. to um, Just really out of respect for, for both teams' defensive and out-of-possession strength uh, and how I perceive them to likely approach this game. I don't see either team overextending themselves to try and win it at the risk of being caught out. Uh, and therefore, I think if they both defend well, nil-nil is a, a big runner. So uh, that's both of our picks for the Championship playoff final. The nil-all draw uh, between Coventry and Luton, 13-2 to with the Betfair Sportsbook. Guys, let's enjoy that one on Saturday. We'll be reviewing it uh, on Tuesday when the recap pod comes out. Uh, League One takes place on Monday. Bit of a weird order this year, George, but we're saving a cracker till last. Sheffield Wednesday against Barnsley, a South Yorkshire derby in northwest London, and two very different passages to this final. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy when you look at what Sheffield Wednesday have done. Um, I had a I had lunch today with a friend well of mine who, thanks, who, well, two friends of mine actually, but um, with a friend of mine who has little to no interest in EFL football. Um, he's a Chelsea fan and, you know, even then he's a, he's a glory Chelsea fan, if we're honest. And he, yeah, so he's not taking much interest now. And he... Um, Turned to me and was like, oh my God, mate, Sheffield Wednesday, that was pretty mad, wasn't it? Which I think just shows how much it perforated the general consciousness of, of football fans across the country. Um, and rightly so, it was one of the most incredible comebacks um, we've probably ever seen. It came, you know, up having put in a, 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 a strange performance away at Peterborough where, you know, for all the reasons we mentioned at the top, maybe they were unlucky to be 2-0 down and... Um, uh, but from then on, the game kind of completely got away from them. To come back in the way that they did after squandering a lead at the top end of, the, of, of League One, it's a bizarre route to Wembley. But here they are, and they are, you know, 90 minutes away or 120 minutes away from um, having a season succeeding what they set out to do, even if there'll be plenty of Wednesday fans who feel like they went the roundabout way when there was probably a simpler way to do it. For Barnsley... That isn't so much the case. Interesting to hear Mike Mike Duff going down the Plymouth Argyle route of, of talking about how people have written them off 
from what I, where I was sitting, it sounded like Michael Duff wrote them, wrote them off last summer. And so, yeah, I don't know if he's talking about himself, but you know, all the the language and the messaging from the club last summer was not that this was going to be a, a swift return back to the championship. It was a rebuild, uh, and I think the fact that they are where they are now is is a, is a massive achievement from from everybody involved. And they've been so impressive throughout their um, form ever since that three 0 defeat against Bolton early this year has been incredible it was fitting that they beat Bolton over two legs and did so in in a manner that to me um, the, the, the gap between the two sides was more than the solitary goal that separated them after the two games and again you know from what I just said in, in the championship game Sheffield Wednesday are the, are the strong favourites for this one and they had you know got, they got plenty more points over the course of the season I would argue that not much separated these two sides in the in the League One table when it was basically confirmed that uh, neither would be getting automatic promotion. Barnsley kind of limped over the finish line. Sheffield Wednesday played incredibly well for the last few games. But for anyone who's sitting there thinking Wednesday finished nine points above Barnsley, therefore it's understandable that that they are where they are. I think we have to say that with, with a slight pinch of salt. I think Barnsley down tools for the last couple of games of the season, despite you know um, Duff and Duff certainly saying other other bits in his interviews at the time. Um, but I'm really looking forward to this. I think it's going to be an absolute cracker between two sides who, in my mind at least, have a fairly different mentalities, which is which I'll get onto uh, in a bit. They had some interesting regular season fixtures, I think it's fair to say, and Barnsley won both of them. To whatever extent that matters, it's very, very hard to say. The way in which the games went was kind of interesting. Um, on the 3rd of September, they went and won 2-0 at Hillsborough. And Barnsley had only won two of their first six. They'd lost three at that point. They were still kind of working themselves out in the uh, in the aftermath of relegation and, and the first six games of Mike Duff's tenure. We were still kind of working out exactly what kind of team Barnsley were going to be and how quickly they would take shape. Um, but they did get a 2-0 win. And then, of course, on March the 21st, a 4-2 win at Oakwell Live on Sky, one of the games of the EFL season. And... Looking past the scoreline, but try, but watching those games back and looking at the stats and the numbers and trying to find any sort of themes that I think could be interesting or important, there's a couple really. One of them was basically loose play by Wednesday was seized upon and punished by Barnsley. I dare say in a manner that 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 didn't happen against a lot of other teams in League One, and that's probably why Wednesday were were able to be so dominant in the main this season and rack up 96 points. But in the first game, a loose touch from Marvin Johnson uh, was seized upon by Barnsley. They scored within eight seconds of that. The second uh, in that game as well, Stockdale gave the ball away, passing out, uh, and Thomas hit the bar. Didn't score, but it was a, a big warning. Uh, and the second goal was a set piece header from Norwood. Uh, in the second half. They also had a chance on the break at the end, Barnsley, as Wednesday committed men forward. So it was almost a a 3-0 win. In the second game, you may remember this, the first goal was a bit of a mess all round from Wednesday. Adenaran and Volks were playing in midfield with Bannon uh, and they both pressed together out wide, didn't win the ball. It was played through them. The centre of the pitch was wide open. Devante Cole was slipped in behind uh, and scored past Dawson, uh, who'd come out and was kind of in no man's land. The second goal was 15 seconds after kickoff. 
Uh, and it was a poor touch from Volks. Not a great pass from Flint into him, but not great defensive midfield play. Uh, Norwood smashed it in from the edge of the box. 2-0 then. Uh, Wednesday obviously got it back to 2-0 and both goals had similarities. Both time it was a, a ball over the top of the wing back uh, into a channel. Uh, Smith with the cross from the right that was tapped in by Gregory and Johnson with the cross from the left that was tapped in by Gregory. So um, we'll get on to the starting 11s and I'm not 100% clear of who's going to be playing where for Wednesday, but uh, Gregory uh, with two six-yard box sort of tap-ins in that game is something to watch out for. The 3-2 goal was a little bit unlucky, but also a bit messy from Wednesday. A, a cross came in and Famwo headed it away straight into Aiden Flint. Uh, it was smashed in by Tedic. And then they scored on the breakaway at the end, uh, kitching as they uh, flooded forward and, and you know pushed on for it to, to go two up rather than just trying to defend their lead. So it'll be interesting to, to see how brave Wednesday are in terms of playing the ball out of their back three and in the midfield area because Barnsley's pressing is very impressive. They have very athletic and energetic midfield players and two up top as well. And they like to play forward quickly when they do win it. So there's a lot of jeopardy for Wednesday if their touch is off, if their passing isn't on point. Uh, and given how, how much their back three has changed and chopped over the last... You don't often hear changed and chopped <laughs> over the last couple of months. Uh, yeah, I'm just interested to see how sharp they are on that front. And, and if they don't trust themselves and they learn from those games, you know, if they are going to go and get the ball forward very early, what's Bannon's role in that? Is he dropping deeper and deeper in order to play those passes? Uh, if so, a lot's going to depend on, on Smith's hold-up play. Um, I actually didn't think Smith had a great playoff semi-final, even over the two legs, even though he did score that penalty. And even though I think his who scored racing was very high, I didn't think, <laughs> I actually didn't think he had the impact I was expecting him to have. So a big game for him. If he if he loses the battle against the Barnsley centre-backs, the ball's just going to be coming straight back out Wednesday. So uh, really, really interesting, I think, um, from a, a sort of stylistic point of view. Uh, there's one really intriguing stat that Peter Lohman shared on the NTT20 squad. I mean, the two teams are... They're all intriguing. They are. I mean, they're, they're pretty well matched in a lot of areas. But um, one that I'm sure will be flashed up by Sky Sports on the coverage is that Barnsley, when they've scored first this season, have won 26 and drawn three and lost none. So 29 times they've scored first. They've turned that into 26 wins and three draws. When they've conceded first, which has happened 14 times, they've never come back to win. They've only come back to draw twice of 14, and they've lost 12 of those. So always the first goal is important. But maybe in the context of Barnsley's record this season, and maybe it's something to do with their style, maybe it's more important than in any of the other games. Uh, very, very interesting. Um, let me just whiz through some starting 11s. I think for Barnsley, everything's decided... Although I think there's one question mark up top. Uh, Eistead will be in goal. Bobby Thomas, Mads Anderson, Liam Kitching, brilliant back three. Williams and Cadden, the wing-backs. Uh, midfield of Connell, Phillips and Kane. They're all in good shape here. And then Devante Cole will be paired by maybe Slobodan Tedic, who started both semi-finals. I personally would love to see James Norwood starting. I don't know the reasons for Tedic starting over him both times. Tedic didn't score, put himself about a little bit, but I don't think he had incredible performances in the semis. Norwood... Unbelievable competitor, great experience, of course, maybe not as mobile as Tedic, but has also scored in both games against Wednesday this season. And I think that sort of narrative can be quite strong in games like this. So I'd like to see Norwood start and Tedic come off the bench for the last half an hour. Uh, as for Wednesday, there's just way more questions about them because of how different their team selection was from the first leg to the second leg. Like it had to be the second leg selection had to be gung ho. It was and it paid off. But if you're Darren Moore, like, do you stick with that and try and play off of 
momentum or do you go back to a, a starting 11 that probably mirrors more how your team uh, normally looks in normal games I, I I honestly don't know um, and there's an aspect to this where it's probably quite frustrating for Mike Duff as well because I doubt he'll be able to to sort of guess or second guess Darren Moore here um, Dawson will be in goal I offer and Ahikwe will almost certainly be in the back three but the third member of that back three up in the air Flint or Reese James it's a question of either physicality of Flint or technical ability and, and in-possession stuff of Reese James. Um, Liam Palmer had the game of his life playing defensive midfield in the second leg, normally the right wing back. So that's the big question. If he plays right wing back, then Volks will play in midfield with Bannon. Uh, if he plays defensive midfield, then maybe Callum Patterson will play right wing back. Uh, maybe not. Uh, Marvin Johnson will be the left wing back. Uh, and then, yeah, front three is interesting. Um, or, yeah. Do you play Windass in the 10 with Smith and Gregory? Uh, a lot of firepower there, but Windass in particular and Gregory also have, have been out injured in recent weeks. That would be kind of punchy. Would you keep one of them back for, for, for the last you know, half an hour and, and potentially extra time, which could be very, very important? Big questions for Darren Moore. Where are you at, George? It's so hard, I think, again, to have any really bullish view on this. And as such, I'm going to kind of start with my with my betting selection and work backwards, where I think Sheffield Wednesday have it in them to be a team that, that not many teams in League One can live with. I think the, the same kind of applies for Barnsley too. But, you know, that kind of where I'm sitting now is, is at nil-nil. I think Sheffield Wednesday are just about, you know, the more likely team to make their quality show. Whether that is because of, of general quality across the pitch, whether that's because having a player like Barry Bannon can can do that. I, I do think that the, as I mentioned last uh, early on, on the Monday pod, I do think the the midfield of, of Phillips, I think the way that Phillips, um, Kane, and, and Connell play in that midfield three, and are basically kind of given license with runners, you know, to the side of them, and then the back three behind who are completely dominant in the air, could be difficult for Sheffield Wednesday to kind of get through and give them that bit of quality in the middle of the park where if, you know, Bannon's legs are his weakness and they have the, the qualities to expose that. I think where you have to look for kind of an edge here is possibly mentally. And, you know, as much as I have gone out to bat for Darren Moore this season, there is no denying that they squandered a, a very dominant position at the top end of League One. There's no denying that they went into the playoffs first leg semi-final and lost the game 4-0. Now, They've shown incredible form at times this season, um, where um, you know where, where maybe the pressure has been off a little bit, and when the pressure has been on, even when they went four 0 up against Peterborough restored parity, they then contrived to concede uh, first before you know getting the goal that, that enabled them to um, to kind of get back and uh, and force the the shootout from which they um, succeeded. So. I've got two selections here, and one is Sheffield Wednesday half time, Barnsley full time at thirty five to one, and the other is Barnsley half Barnsley half time, Sheffield Wednesday full time at twenty five to one. Purely playing off the idea that if Wednesday go ahead, do we see that inability to get over the line show itself again? And Barnsley, who are a side who you know are eminently capable of, of getting their way back into the game, coming forwards and and. Um, you know, punishing Wednesday's soft centre? Or do we see what we've seen in the playoff semis, 
where if Barnsley go ahead, is that where we suddenly see Wednesday step up when when behind and force their way back into things where they're, they're not out on their own and dizzy? So I, I find this really difficult to call. I think both teams are, are in a, a decent bit of form if you take out the 4-0 defeat against Posh. Um, and I think the only angle I can try and find here is trying to play into... I mean, I'm, I'm playing Mike Holden a little bit here. Um, is, is just try and find the um, the edge here that, that Wednesday aren't the most straightforward, mm-hmm. to use a, a horse racing terminology. I think straightforward is just a normal word, mate, isn't it? Is that horse racing terminology? Yeah, but I, I want people to picture a horse that, you know, is very talented, but, you know, either gets, either idols went out in front or, you know, has has some quirks, maybe a little bit keen as they break, something like, like that. Like uh, Le Bake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, LeBake just refused to run for the most part and then won the Supreme. Yeah. But yes. Maybe not like LeBake as <laughs> the only quirky horse I've ever, I can ever actually remember. I like that your selections, both of them, in order to happen, would fly completely in the face of those interesting Peter Lohman Barnsley stats. I know. But, you know, know, there's no reason why something that's happened lots will have to happen again, you know? Well, mate, this is also one of those things where sometimes um, if if something happens. It, you know, it, 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 there's a fine line between gambler's fallacy and variance where, you know, if you go into a bookie and play roulette and it comes up 10 times red, then it doesn't necessarily mean the next one's going to be black. But at the same time, if if there's no rhyme or reason to statistics, then, you know, variance will inevitably run its course. And therefore, if Barnsley have yet to squander a lead when they've gone ahead... That is going to happen. <laughs> like, they, they aren't just a superhuman football team who are incapable of squandering leads. So, it, it you know, with trends, I, I often think you want to, if, if there's no rhyme or reason to a trend, then sometimes I think it's worth opposing. Well, I kind of, I, I would love to be presenting really different opinions to you because I think it would be, well, I think it would make for a more interesting podcast, but <laughs> I'm also finding it difficult. Um, I picked Wednesday to win the League One playoffs before the playoffs. Um, but the variability in their performances in the two legs, of course, the second leg was you know down to the situation more than anything. But even stretched out into the last three months, the variability, the kind of drama, and the the highs and lows of their last few months has me just a little bit scared in terms of both picking them to win and also picking them to lose. It's so so difficult. I also think, to be fair, having watched the the second legs and having been at Oakwell. The strength, particularly of Barnsley's centre-backs and their midfield three, has been very eye-catching to me. And I don't know how much value there is in in comparing the centre-backs and comparing the midfield of these two teams. And it will probably sound stupid to many because Wednesday picked up more points than Barnsley in the regular season. 96 points because they were an incredible League One team. But I just feel in my own personal ratings right now that Barnsley's back three and Barnsley's midfield three are in slightly better shape than Wednesday's back three and Wednesday's midfield three. Now, if George Byers was available and fit, that possibly wouldn't be the case. But I'm so impressed with Connell Kane and Phillips at the moment, both in and out of possession. And so, well, honestly, I have no idea. It's one of the least sort of confident I think I've ever felt about a playoff final. My betting pick is Barnsley minus one. At six to one with the Betfair Sportsbook, and it plays into this variability in performance of of Wednesday. This 
this inkling that I have that there is a chance, albeit not a probable chance, that they might not put their best foot forward. And that if they don't do that, then like the first leg against Peterborough, things could unravel a little bit. And this also comes with something from Barnsley's, Barnsley's point of view. And it's something that we saw that I mentioned in the second game between the two teams. Barnsley have shown, actually in both games, and they've covered the minus one in both league games, that they are quite happy to counter-attack with numbers in order to kill a game off and try and go two goals ahead rather than just sit back and defend a one-goal lead. So I just think there's a scenario in which if Barnsley do go ahead if they are leading heading into the last 20 minutes, Wednesday are understandably going to throw more and more men forward. And of course, the pressure may tell and a good cross from the left and a Smith header at the back stick may materialise, which is what I dreamt up pre-playoffs. And Wednesday could equalise, of course. But I think Barnsley will retain a big threat on the counter-attack. And so if Wednesday aren't careful, that could be exploited. Uh, it's a 6-1 to one pick with the Betfair Sports because Barnsley uh, minus Ooh. one. Mate, they're going to come after you, I'm afraid. R.I.P. your mentions. Yes, well, I don't really check them, so it's fine. That's a lie. I do. You have you have every single quality filter turned on, but then you search your own name instead. You know, I don't I don't see any tweets from people that haven't confirmed their email address or something like that. I don't really know why, but but mate, that means you're missing out on so many fixed football matches. <laughs> what? There are there are fixed football matches you can find out about. Actually, like a million a day. It's unbelievable. Like every single tweet I send seems to like alert one. Which is wow. That sounds like an incredible part of an amazing social media platform. Mm, awesome. Yes. Hey, man. Let's talk Stockport and Carlisle. This one's on Sunday, um, and this sees a team that were in the National League last season. The old Skrill Premier. Um, has it? I, I looked it up. I looked it up. Skrill. Yeah, they they cancelled their sponsorship early, so it was like during the season. It went from being the Skrill Premier just to not not, not really being that anymore in, in thirteen fourteen. Wow. Okay. Yes, yeah, Stockport were in the National League last season, of course, um, and Carlisle were in League Two, but they finished twentieth in League Two. So again, George, in terms of the the journeys, the narratives of these two sides, particularly over the last twelve, twenty four, thirty six months, uh, it's a, it's a fascinating matchup and and either team heading into league one will be a great story yeah it would be it would be for sure um you know stockport trying to do what um many hot pots out of the national league have, have failed to do in the last few years where um justifying favoritism haven't been promoted by going straight up into league one i've got a sneaky feeling at least one of um those teams may manage that again next season, but that is for another podcast in another time. Um, yeah, Stockport have been a, a, a quite a strange team, I think, to follow over the course of the season. Where um, you know, if you, if you take these two clubs, um, Stockport preseason favourites, uh, an incredibly wealthy and very good owner, a local businessman who's you know got big ambitions for the club, who fell on hard times down in the National League. Um, who under Dave Chaloner have been at times, in my mind, the best team in League Two and at times have been incredibly disappointing. And right now, I think they've been pretty disappointing over the last three games. Um, they went into a, a game against Hartlepool who'd already been re uh, relegated with an opportunity to put pressure on Northampton and maybe go up on final day. They failed to win it. They went to Salford's in the first leg playoff and they failed to score and lost 1-0 in a game where they were pretty poor. And they showed, you know, decent spirit, I guess, to come back twice in the other in the in the home leg and win a penalty shootout. But Salford were no worse than them over the, over the two legs. And 
even though I'm, I'm, I've got huge respect for, for Stockport and what they've done, and I still think they have the capabilities to basically beat any team in League Two with relative ease. And even though I, ba- I bat them to win the playoffs before the, the, week, the weekend started, I'm not feeling particularly good about it now. Unlike Carlisle, where the story is completely different. This is a side who looked like they might lose their football league status entirely last season before returning hero Paul Simpson came in when they were 23rd, I think, in League Two. So for him to take them from 23rd to League Two into the into the League Two playoffs is an incredible achievement up there with the best in the EFL over the last 18 months or so. They have at times been brilliant. Their, their data early in the season when they weren't getting the results was very good. The results, as they often do, then followed. They looked like, for a second, like they might be the ones to challenge to get into the top three. And then results tailed off. And I was fairly negative about their chances coming into this. But completely the opposite of of um, Stockport. I was really impressed with them in both of their games in the playoffs. Both um, when they lost at Valley Parade. And then when they beat um, Bradford an extra time at home uh, to get into this. They looked to me to be coming into this game full of confidence. The one, I guess, key bit of personnel issue or news is Christian Dennis who it's kind of a weird story where he managed to gash his his shin on a mannequin during training and, and missed the second leg hey who amongst us has never gashed their shin on a mannequin hey interesting you say that because when I was at university at the University of Manchester I've, I've still got a really big scar down my right shin and I don't know how I got it I was in I was in a, uh, a, a not particularly reputable reputable nightclub in Manchester called Fact Two Five One, and a friend of mine, weirdly actually the same friend that I was talking about I had lunch with today, pointed at my shin and was like, "Mate, what's going on there?" And I looked down and there was just blood all over my shin, and I still don't know what happened, and it's still a big gash on my shin. I don't think, I don't think it was a mannequin. Didn't see any at, at, at Factory at the time, but um, there you go. Christian. Dennis. Anyway, my. My shin injury lasted a lot longer than a week. I can promise you that. I was not out playing um, at Platte Lane for at least three weeks after sustaining that injury. But Paul Simpson seems to think there's a chance Christian Dennis could be back for Wembley. And that would be massive because he scored 20 goals this season. Uh, I think the next best is six. I'm going to get on to their other striking options. But it does feel like his return to the side would give them a massive, massive boost. Um, So that's where I am. I am on my head here where... The way I felt about these two teams, I think, was justified a week ago. But what we've seen over the two legs since then suggests to me that Carlisle are coming to this in a better spot than Stockport. Yeah, intriguing. Fascinating. Uh, One thing I wanted to mention was something I saw from Sam Byrne, who covers Stockport County. He's a great follow on Twitter. Uh, In May 2014, Ben Hinchliffe. That's Hinchliffe. (laughs) Hinchliffe, not Hinchcliffe. Uh, Hinchliffe scored the winning penalty in the Evo Stick Northern Premier Playoff Final for Dave Challoner's AFC Fylde, 2014 that. Uh, Hinchliffe has since won the National League North and the National League with Stockport County and saved two penalties in the shootout against Salford to put Challoner's side in the League Two final this week. So of individual player narratives... I think Hinchliffe is quite a big one here. Of course, one of the guys that will be trying to score past him is Joe Garner of Carlisle United. Uh, in the sunset of his career, I think it's fair to say, um, but scorer of a very famous and spectacular uh, playoff goal for Preston in 2014. Um, there's there's lots to, to be looking forward to here. In terms of the, the regular season meetings, Stockport won 2-0 at home in October. And it was... 
actually Stockport hadn't taken on their sort of fully formed uh, excellent level at that point. They, they picked up the most points in League Two in the second half of the season, Stockport. At that point, they weren't quite there yet, but this was kind of the blueprint of a lot of wins that we saw in the second half of the season. They were pretty comfortable defensively. They scored two goals and they won that home game to nil. And then the game at Carlisle, which was much more recently, I think it was in April, absolute cracker, two goals apiece. Uh, Hippolyte put Stockport ahead, then Mellish equalised from a set piece for Carlisle, poorly defended. Then Moxon put Carlisle ahead uh, on the break, him having won the ball in midfield, played it out wide brilliantly and then Buster got to get to the edge of the box and fire into the top corner. It was a an amazing moment in an incredible individual campaign for Owen Moxon. Uh, and then uh, Connor Evans popped up at the back stick, deep cross from the left from Hussey, uh, which we'll see a lot in this game. Uh, and Evans was there at the back post to head home. Uh, Armour and Mellish got a little mixed up between them. So in, in that game, there was sort of, well, there were some individual defensive mistakes, which I would say are kind of out of character for both of these teams. Uh, and we ended up with an entertaining game. I'm not necessarily sure if I expect four goals here. Um, it's going to be 3-5-2 against 3-5-2. And we've seen enough League Two games that are 3-5-2 against 3-5-2 to know more or less what to expect. Uh, all the usual battles, uh, three centre-backs up against the two strikers is a very, very important one. Uh, a midfield battleground without a lot of time and space means that a bit of extra quality, a bit of extra bite can go quite a long way. Um, and then down the sides is obviously where the majority of the space is, uh, where the ball will, will in, invariably end up in most attacks. Uh, and so those 1v1 moments are, are really important, both in terms of finding space or finding crossing opportunities and then good delivery as well and good targets and good bodies in the middle. I think that'll be important for both teams. Carlisle's midfield has been in amazing form. Callum Guy, Owen Moxon, uh, Alfie McCalmont. I think that's going to be a fascinating part of this game because Stockport's has, has chopped and changed a bit and I find it quite difficult to predict Challenger's starting eleven here. Uh, Hinchliffe will be in goal. In the defence, I, I think he'll go with Lewis, Horsfall and Hussey uh, as he did in the second leg with Noyle and Rydell as wing-backs because Rydell who didn't start at the first leg but did in the second leg, it's just so clear to me that he's got one of the best crosses in League Two. And Hussey can play left centre-back and be solid enough and give you crossing from deep as he moves into the final third as well in possession. But Rydell's got that extra whip and dip, uh, as we saw for Olafe's goal in the second leg. And personally, I think, particularly as they're favourites to win and they will fancy themselves to take the game to Carlisle, to leave out Rydell would be to leave out possibly their, be you know, what, what I think might be their best avenue of attack, which is Rydell's left peg and, and the delivery thereof. So um, that's how I see it. Um, it means that the midfield is pretty interesting because Crosdale didn't start the playoff semi-second leg. Very surprising. He's been a big part of the journey at the base of midfield. But uh, Challoner went with Akil Wright, who mostly has played in, in the back line, is mostly a defender, is not incredible on the ball although you could probably say the same about Crowsdale but does cover a lot of ground wins a lot of tackles in midfield and, and can carry it as well so that's a really interesting one if Crowsdale doesn't start for Stockport at Wembley that will be a very difficult decision for Challoner to make given how important he's been for the club over the last few years and frankly throughout this whole season uh, and then in the in the sort of two number eight roles the box-to-box -box midfielders you can really pick two of, of Will Collar Callum Camps Miles Hippolyte and Connor Evans um, Collar's Fitness is going to be a big a big um, factor here. He, he could only come off the bench in the second leg. So um, difficult to say. I guess Madden and Olafe will be up front. 
Uh, and I guess for Carlisle, it's a little bit easier uh, with Holy in goal. Uh, Huntington will be at the centre of a back three. Mellish, I expect to return from suspension on the left side. And then uh, probably Whelan will play right centre-back because Ben Barkley is ineligible on account of being on loan from Stockport. Uh, and Morgan Feeney, uh, who's, who's their captain, uh, has been injured for the playoff semis and I'm not sure if he's back for this one. Uh, Senior and Armour, the wing-backs, big games for them. Uh, both played well in the sec- second leg of that semi. Midfielder Guy Moxon and McCalmont with Garner and surely John Kaimani-Gordon uh, up front, as mentioned in the second leg review pod. The decision to play Gordon over Patrick, over anyone else, uh, was fully justified. He looked incredibly bright, skillful, direct, uh, was a goal threat in that game as well. Hit the post and forced Halliday into an own goal. So despite only having started three league games in the last three months, I think Gordon will probably partner Garner up front. And, and I think that would be the right call. So fascinating game. Um, George, I, I want Carlisle to be at their absolute best here. Um, I want Moxon to prove himself as a true star on, on the big stage. You know, some famous League Two playoff final performances. I want Moxon to be right at the top of that after this. Um, I'd love to see Garner roll back the years and score an even better goal than he did in the playoff semi in 2014. But <laughs> overall, I still have a hard time imagining weighing everything up that Carlisle will be better than Stockport in enough departments throughout 90 minutes to to beat them. So I would still lean towards Stockport um, and despite a 13-2 to selection um, in the Championship and a 6-1 to selection in the League One, my League Two betting pick is Stockport to win in 90 minutes at 2.38 with the Betfair Sportsbook. Well, you said I might make for a better podcast if we disagreed, and we do, because my, my two selections are Carlisle to win a 90 at 21-10 to and um, Joe Garner to score any time at 7-2. to Now, Garner hasn't scored many goals since... Um, well, this season back at, at Carlisle, he's only scored two. But as we mentioned, I, I think he's likely to start um, here again. He was taken off in both the first two, uh, between both the semi-final legs. However, he did have three shots inside the box in the second leg. It hit the woodwork. And, you know, in my mind, it's unlikely Dennis is going to be fit enough to start here um, with my extensive um, knowledge of shin gashes. So therefore, I think Garner pretty much ranks as being um, their biggest goal threat. And when you consider Dennis is 23 to 10 to score any time and, um, and Garner is 7 to 2, I think that discrepancy is too much. And, and I do think having watched those two games, you know, Salford did cause Stockport some real trouble and, and, and Hinchliffe was probably the key player for Stockport um, until Sarsevich's late show in terms of getting Stockport to this stage, I think Carlisle will create chances against them. Um, and for that reason, I, I just think the 21-10 to 10 is just a little bit too big in my mind um, if these two teams replicate the kind of performances that we saw in the first two legs. So, you know, it's as I said in the Monday show, I do not apologise to Carlisle for writing them off before the weekend, but I think it's important sometimes to be malleable in your thoughts. And even though I've backed Stockport to, um, to win the playoffs, I think right now looking at the prices... Um, Stockport are going to have to be better than they were. Otherwise, I think there's a fair. Uh, well, otherwise, I just don't think they're they're an eleven to eight shot to to win this, and I don't think they're their odds. They're you know what price are they to to go up? Um, they are four to six. Yeah, which just seems a bit short. From using the phrase "rank outsiders" in the playoff preview, which really did put a few no- noses out of joint, to picking Carlisle as his betting selection in the final preview, it's been a hell of a journey. 
uh, for George and the Cumbrians. And it's been it's been a, a hugely enjoyable uh, playoff final preview pod. I always really enjoy doing this uh, from the research to the recording um, to the back and forth. Uh, it is, as always, one of my favourite pods of the year. 91 in total. Uh, we've got a, certainly got a 92nd in us uh, on Tuesday. We'll be recapping uh, all three of the playoff finals. So make sure you subscribe to the feed and get that uh, fresh. Is there anything that we need to tie up, George, before we say goodbye and good luck? I guess there'll be a few betting show listeners who might not listen to the Monday pod. So just to them, um, thank you very much for listening again for another year and I can't wait to see you again oh, next season. That's really sweet. That's really sweet. I'm not Thanks. saying that we won't do a 93rd, by the way. There's a few things that we could do over the next few weeks if we if we have the appetite. A little... But that could feasibly be number one. A 1 to 24 review, a review of the betting show season. We, you know, we're, we're actually finishing the season with, with a bit of energy uh, rather than feeling exhausted. Oh, speak to yourself. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I often do speak to myself. (laughs) Uh, Cheers, guys. Um, I'll be at Wembley all three days, Saturday, Sunday and Monday. So please do shout at me. Uh, Say hi if you see me. Uh, That would be a a real treat. Um, Let's enjoy these three incredible days. Um, We've all earned this (laughs) across the last 10 months. Uh, So thank you for listening and a massive thank you to Betfair for their support of the podcast. Enjoy the playoff finals. We'll speak again on Tuesday. Go well.